Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. We are on the series of the kingdom. And Monica kicked us off last week. You were in the book of Matthew. And, uh, you know, kingdom, Monica said this, kingdom isn't a language we use. You know, unless you're like a video gamer or you're, you know, I'm, I'm not sure where, where else you come across that or, or you're a fantasy fiction fan. Kingdom is not a word that we use, but, it, but Jesus was a king. Jesus is a king. And he came to establish a kingdom. And uh, the Gospel of Matthew, is a, it's a gospel announcing the arrival of a kingdom. A new king with a new kingdom. And we find it filled with teaching. The teachings and parables of what this kingdom is like. And uh, Jesus, the, the book of Matthew, it introduces us also to Jesus as a teacher. Now the book of Matthew, it's broken into five themes. And those five themes parallel the five books, the five first books of the Bible, or the books of Moses. And what this is, is that it's broken into five main themes, and it shows that Jesus is the new teacher that is going to fulfill the first five books of the Torah, also which is called the law. And so what we find in the chapters one through three, Jesus is the promised, is the promised king greater than Moses. And Moses came, he delivered them from, sa- from slavery, but Jesus came to deliver us from sin, from sin and death. Moses gave a new divine teaching. He came down with the book of the law. Jesus came to give us, new te- to, to give us a new law. Save them from sin and initiate a new covenant with us. And so today I want to I look at... Uh, Matthew's, Matthew, specifically chapters 4 through 7, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. Some of you just panicked, just had a little panic. That's a, that's a lot of Bible, Mike. <clears throat> but this is where Jesus, this is really where Jesus, his ministry starts. And uh, this, we, we find here, um, this, is, this is the first announcement of God's kingdom. And we find in, in uh, chapter 4, and you know, I, will, I want to encourage you this week, is take, take, uh, take some time and read the Gospel of Matthew, these, these chapters 4 through 7. There is so much in here that is just, just stop and you know, spend some time with it. Let it speak to you. But I want to I take some key points out of here, and then I want to I talk about a sermon maybe you've heard of. It was called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a very, very key part of this launch of the kingdom. And the, we find chapter 4, this, we, we come, this is immediately after Jesus is baptized. Now, Jesus has been baptized, and then he went out to the wilderness where it says he was te- tested and tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, which is also a parallel to the life of Moses, who was in the wilderness for 40 years. And so there's, there's all these, these parallels. And so Jesus, he, he defeats 
he defeats temptation, and then he comes back, and he announces, uh, he announces his, or sorry, he be, this is where he begins to preach. Matthew 4, 17, it says that Jesus began to preach. From then, this is right after he came out of temptation, from then on he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this is, this is, the, first, this is the first time we find him speaking publicly. This is the first time we find him teaching people. And I like how it's, it's phrased here in the, in the Gospel of Mark, this, this same announcement he, he says this, it's, it's phrased like this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, we don't, again, this word repent to us, it's just a negative word. What, is that, what does that mean, repent? Like, that's what you tell someone when they're bad. You, know, you think repent, it's like, well, we, we need to feel really sorry for everything we've done. We need to, like, walk on walk on our knees on glass, or we need to spend like four hours in prayer to, to make up for the bad. That's repenting, but that's not what repenting is. In fact, if you go to the, to the Greek word, the word repent, it's, it's, more, it's more accurate to translate it as rethink. Rethink. And have, have, you ever, have you ever had a situation in life or a problem that you've been trying to solve and you just can't Solve it, but then somebody says something to you and it just changes your whole perspective on the problem. That's, that's repenting. It's, it's causing you to rethink the way you're approaching. And Jesus is saying, I want you to rethink. He says, repent and believe. But that word believe, it's, it's actually would be more accurate to, to translate it trust. Repent, rethink, and trust. Rethink your approach to life and trust. Well, trust what? Trust that what I'm telling you, what I'm teaching you, is going to do, it's going to produce a better life for you than what you can do. Than what you and your reasoning. It can bring, what I'm teaching you can bring you to a better place. In the Christian life, it's a journey. It's a perpetual turning away from ourselves and other things that we put our trust in before God, and it's turning to God and trusting Him. And it's perpetual, perpetual because we are prone to wander, aren't we? But we, we, are, we are really good at getting distracted in life. We, you make your, you know, you, you New Year's Day, you say, you know what, I am going to eat healthy this year. And then by noon... Somebody comes over with chips, hot wings, pizza. And then what do we do? I'm going to eat healthy tomorrow. <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount is where we, where we, where we, this is the first major teaching. Of Jesus, this is the first time he publicly teaches people, and it's it's similar. Moses received the law on the mountain, and Jesus came down from the mountain after, or sorry, Jesus came out of testing of the wilderness and then went onto a mountain to teach. These parallels that are very, they're very intentionally add, they're very intentionally included in this account, 
And Jesus begins to teach about a new kingdom, a new way of life. A new, because within, with a, any king, there comes a system of governance with that king, and that's a kingdom. And he, he talks about this upside-down kingdom where there's no hierarchy, there's no elite status, there's no class, there's no privilege, there's just his children. In fact, he, he teaches it upside down. The great, he, he teaches the greatest of you will be the servant to all of you. Those who serve are the greatest in his kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. And the main theme of this kingdom, the main theme of Jesus is, is that this, he wants to transform human hearts into hearts of love. Love is not just a feeling. It's more than a feeling. Some old-timers out there groaned. <laughs> love is not just a feeling or a, a state of relational or emotional bliss or uh, of, you know, sending good thoughts out to those around us. That's not love. That's just, I don't know what that is, but that's, that's not what love is. You know, you can sing a lot of songs if you, you start making statements about love. I want to know what love is. <laughs> and it's important that we get this because we need to know what love's got to do with it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm dadding all the way down. Dad jokes all the way home, guys. But Jesus teaches that love is an intentional commitment that we choose to live in. It's an intentional way of life. And he outlines it in detail how we live that life. And um, today we're going to read a lot of scripture. And uh, I'm going to do this because I can do a better job of explaining what Jesus meant than you just reading the Bible by yourself. So I'll, that's, that's a joke, by the way. But the Sermon on the Mount is, it was meant, it was meant to challenge our worldview. It was meant to, it was the Sermon on the Mount, the, the early church and the early disciples understood that this was to be the law of the New, of the New Testament church. This was the law. Of, Jesus came and he gave, Moses came and he gave the law, the Levitical law, which is the, you know, thou shalt not kill. That's, it's all good, by the way. The Levitical law is, is all for the preservation of humanity. But Jesus came, and he, he came, and he brought his law, the law of the kingdom. And he said he was going to fulfill the law of Moses, and he was bringing us into, giving us a new law, that, which is the law of love in his kingdom. And it was... The early church understood this was meant to be memorized. This sermon was meant to be meditated upon. This wasn't just a, oh, cool teaching. This is a great new, new, you know, great new teaching from Jesus, and it's kind of catchy. It was meant to challenge our worldview and continually influence our thinking and actions. It was not meant to be easy. And as we will discover as I read, it's not always easy, but it is good. And this, this whole message was 
introduced with the message of rethink and trust. It's, it's kind of the foundation of being able to live life in God's kingdom is rethinking the way we're living our life now, rethinking the way we're, thi- rethinking the way we're approaching life and trusting that the way God instructs us, God instructs us will be better. It will lead us to a better place. We all trust in something. Some of us trust in our own efforts. Some of us trust in our wealth. Especially in, you know, first world nations. It's hard not to trust in your wealth. If you, if you just grew up poor, you wouldn't trust your wealth so much. But when you grow up in a nation where, you know, all our needs are provided, it's hard, it's hard not to put trust in that. Some of us trust in our government. I think less in Alberta than other parts of the country. <laughs> but some of, us, some of us trust in our health. Some of us trust in our, our jobs. But Jesus is challenging us to not just place our trust in him, but he's challenging us to place our trust in what he says, which is another step. It's easy to say, well, I just, I just believe in Jesus. Well, that's easy. The devil believes in Jesus too. But trusting Jesus, trusting what he says. And so here we are. We're going to jump right in here. It starts with the Beatitudes. And this is, this is an interesting way to start where he doesn't say, you know, I'm here to help you kick butt and take names. He says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I think what, part of the reason that he started with poor in spirit, like what, who wants to be poor in spirit? Who wants to be weak? Who wants to be hurt? And yet he says this, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled why does he start with this? Well, I think because as soon as you begin to rethink and trust, that's where we begin to realize that there's some poverty of spirit in us. Is when we start to when you when you when you start to say, Lord, I just want to obey you, then you discover that there's a whole lot in you that really doesn't want to obey him. <laughs> there's a real there's a heart, a huge part of our of our being is like wants to do exactly the opposite. In fact, if we'd be honest, it's like I would rather just have a God who blesses me no matter what I do. That's a genie. We don't have them. <laughs> Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's an interesting start. And then he goes into these, he goes into these sayings. You've heard it said. So what, what he's addressing, he's addressing a mindset. You've heard it said. This is the way that, this is the way you're used to doing things. And then he, has, he puts this, this phrase on the end of it. He says, you've heard it said, but I say and then he gives these, he said, you've heard it said, you know, do not, do, not hate your, do not hate your brother, do not kill your brother. But I say, if you, even, if you even speak evil of your brother, you're guilty of killing him. 
He said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you even think about that woman with lust in your heart. So now he's taking the law of Moses and he's just making, it's like, this is, wait a minute. Like, this is getting harder. I thought Jesus was like love and grace and mercy. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That's not literal, by the way. That's called hyperbole. Just, just, just for clarification. But he takes this, he, he goes, he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So he takes, basically what he does is he takes the whole law of Moses, and as he's summing up these segments, he says, okay, now I don't want to just talk about your actions, I want to talk about your heart. You say, well, you know, I, I didn't kill them, but it's, yes, but did you wish them ill? You know, I didn't, I didn't commit adultery. It's just, yes, but what are you watching on TV or on your device? He, he takes the law of Moses and he, he actually elevates it to the place of saying he wants to transform our hearts. All right. So you can read those, those this week and just meditate on all of these, these great passages. Matthew chapter 6, I find it interesting where he, he says, the 6 verse 1, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front, of, in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward with your Father in heaven. And you think that that's kind of interesting because if you when you read Matthew chapter 5 earlier, or yeah, later in the week, you'll realize he had said in there, you know, you're supposed to be a light on a, you're supposed to be salt and light, and nobody hides a light, you put it on a hill, and he said it's the same way with you, so that the whole world will see your good works. And then he goes on to say, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. It's like, okay, well, what are you trying to tell me to do here? Because this seems conflicting. But Jesus warns about doing good deeds just for others to see. And again, well, why, would he, why would he warn this? Because it's all back to the heart. You remember, he's trying to establish a kingdom where hearts are transformed into hearts of love. And so he's saying, don't call attention to yourself. And in the context of Israel at this time, giving and righteousness were synonymous. So in other words, when you, you were considered a good person if you gave gifts of charity. That was kind of like a public hallmark. And so this is what the, Fer the Pharisees were known for standing on the street corners and doing these acts of charity. Or they were, they were known for doing things for others to see them. But Jesus' accusation against this group was that you, you look good on the outside, but your hearts are filled with death. And so Jesus is addressing the things in, the, in this portion of, the, of the, the Sermon on the Mount. He's addressing the things that, that get in our heart. And it's so important. You know, part of, part of being a part of his kingdom is allowing him to work his kingdom into our heart. He never said it was wrong to give charitable gifts. He just said don't. Don't give, don't give charitable gifts 
for recognition from others. Do it so that your Father in heaven sees you and can reward you. And he says this, don't call attention to yourself as the hypocrites do. And, you know, the word hypocrite in the Greek literally means actor. Don't do things like an actor. Don't just be an actor in your faith. Don't just be an actor. Jesus is addressing the heart. He's addressing motives. Why am I doing this? Is it because I want to please God? Or is it because I want others to think well of me? And he goes on to say, pray in your room in secret. Pray to your father who is in the secret place and he will reward you. He's, he's saying there is a part of the kingdom of heaven that is only found in secret. There's a, now, when we gather together, it's a, it is a great experience. And it is also a necessary experience, but it's only part of the experience. There's also another part. There's a part of faith that only happens in secret. There's a part of faith that as soon as you make it public, it stops working. It's a part that has, it's, it, Jesus says this, go pray in secret because your father will be found in secret. It's not the only place, but it's one place where something happens in us. Then he, then he goes on to instruct, in this secret place, what do you do? Well, you pray. And then you forgive. Mike, I'm not liking this message. Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Oh, that's not a very nice message, Mike. What is he saying here? He, Jesus is elevating our heart to something we can control. He's saying you can make decisions that will control the course of your heart. They will control where your heart goes. And then he, he sums up this whole section. It's kind of this, this, whole, this whole private section is in Matthew 6, 19. It says, don't lay treasures up on earth, but store treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And, you know, this, this term, treasures in heaven, in, 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 Israel, in ancient uh, Jewish culture, it was understood to mean uh, acts of good. It was understood, like, treasure in heaven was the good that you did for others. And he was saying, make sure that, that, make sure that the good that you do for others is something that's being done in a way that is, that's building treasure in heaven. And then he goes on to say, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? But seek first, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. You know what? For me to listen to that requires that I do some rethinking and trusting. Really, if I seek, if I seek God's kingdom first, everything else is going to be taken care of. Do I really believe that? 
do you really believe that? When God, when God challenges us, when we, see, when we see Jesus saying, just trust that if you seek, if you seek my kingdom, which is his way of living, he says, when you seek my kingdom, all these other things that you worry about will be taken care of. For me, I have to rethink my approach to life to trust that. I have to rethink. I told you I was going to read a lot of scripture today. And so then he goes on. More challenging words. Matthew 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do not ju- This is maybe one of the most quoted scriptures you'll ever find when you're talking to people. Like on the street about Jesus. Jesus says, don't judge. But it's maybe one of the least understood. This is not a call to unconditional approval. Since in just a few verses, he's going to tell us to judge. (laughs) But this is, is again, this is talking about the heart. This is talking about what, what we allow into and out of our heart. So what... When we judge, we break this command when we think the worst of others. We break this command when we speak to others only of their faults. We break this command when we judge an entire life only by its worst moments. Sometimes we break this command on ourselves. We pass judgment on ourselves. We break this command when we judge the hidden motives of others. We break this command when we judge others without considering ourselves in those same circumstances. And we break this command when we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves are going to be judged. He says, whatever measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so what measure do you want measured back to you? Do you want... Do you want harsh criticism or do you want mercy? All right. So then he's, then he tells us, Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide. And the, and the road broad that leads to destruction. And many are there who will go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, inwardly are ravaging wolves. This is, where he's, this is basically where he's saying, judge. Be aware that there's people who will come into your life with ill intent. Be on your guard. And now he tells us how we'll recognize them. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. And this is, this is a warning. Enter through the narrow gate. You know, there's the, 
A narrow gate means there's going to be some constraints. And we don't like that word, constraints. Our culture doesn't like to be told no. Just try it with your kids. And see how they respond. I tell you don't respond any better. You know, we we want options. We want many options. But Jesus says the way to life is narrow. The way of the way to life is not the easy path. He says the way to destruction is easy. To lead to lead yourself to life or to allow him to lead you to life requires hard choices. And they won't be the choices you'll always get cheered for. And then he says, watch for false prophets. Now, what's a, what's a false prophet? Basically, a false prophet is a teacher who will tell you what you want to hear because, because there's another motive at work. They want, and it, he says, well, how do you tell the difference? How do you know the difference between a good teacher and a bad teacher? A false prophet and a real prophet? Or, or good teaching and bad teaching? He's, and he says, it's very simple. Look at the fruit. Look at the result of that teaching in their lives or in the lives of others. Look at the long term. That's the test. I think in a day and age where there's teachers everywhere, TikTok theologians and a master's degree in Facebook. Oh, that was so last week. It, is, it becomes a question, who do we listen to? Well, Jesus says, look at the fruit. Listen to those who have good fruit. And then he ends with a warning here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, this is getting serious, Mike. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. These are sobering words. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, I'll be honest, in my grace theology, I don't get where this fits. Just speaking honestly as a pastor. This, this makes me rethink. Charles Spurgeon, he said, he said this of this portion of, of the Bible. He said, by saying, on that day, Jesus drew our attention to a coming day of judgment for all men. What is the chief object of your life? Will you think as much of it on that day as you do now? Will you then count yourself wise to have so earnestly pursued it? You fancy that you can defend it now, but will you be able to defend it then when all things of earth and time have melted into nothingness? That's pretty serious, Mike. And then he talks 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded the house, but it didn't collapse because its foundation was on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And it collapsed with a great crash. Jesus never promised that there wouldn't be storms. Jesus promised that the, if you follow his teaching, if you listen to what he says, if we rethink and trust, we'll be like the one who's built on a solid foundation. I find it interesting. The, the way this passage of scripture opens up is to rethink and trust and the way he closes this sermon is to rethink and trust. Trust what I'm saying will work better. Trust what I'm saying will lead you to life. Let's stand up. Just take a moment, close our eyes. Father, we pray that you would reveal us to us the things that have been a hindrance to us trusting you. Those areas of our life where we have, we've trusted our way more than your way. We've trusted that we can make a better outcome than you can make. And Father, we just, we just pray that you would help us to rethink you would help us to trust what you say and to build our lives upon your word, to build our lives upon what you, the way you lead us and to enter that narrow gate. That narrow gate that leads to life. And I'm just going to pray a prayer right now. It's a prayer we pray every week here. I think it's an important prayer. It's a prayer saying, Lord, I want to trust your ways. I want to trust your word, and I want to trust in what you have for me. I want to say yes to following you. I want to say yes to following your ways. And if you want to be included in that prayer, you can just, you can just join us as we pray, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to trust you that your ways are higher than my ways. And your word is trustworthy to build my life upon. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.